You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Mickey, you're recording. Yeah, you look. Things look dark there. You look as if you dark. It's dark. It's dark, Bob. Jonah Goldberg said, "I'm in a dark place. I'm a dark character." Oh, did he? And it is dark. It is dark on his on his podcast. One of his many podcasts. You're in a dark place. So it's bad because events are conspiring to destroy the destroy the life of the one person I care about most. And that would be me. Oh, you. Um, uh, cause I had thought, you know, Biden was in a terrible place. The Democrats were going to lose Congress. I wouldn't have to worry anymore about them passing the two things I hate an amnesty bill and a refundable child tax credit. But no, the Democrats are regaining ground in the congressional race. Some of the generic polls are equal, uh, not in the swing states, but still it's a, it's a start. And Trump is going to enter the race and screw it all up for the Democrats. So, so the Democrats might retain Congress. They're already passing amnesties right and left, little bitty ones. Uh, they're going to be desperate for Latino votes. The only thing they know how to do to shore up their support among Latino votes is push for an immigration amnesty, even though Latinos don't care that much about it. But uh, they're going to do that. And Mitt Romney is, you know, having conferences all over Washington about about his tax credit proposal for families. And after Roe, Republicans have to show they care about uh, families, uh, which is fine. Romney's plan is fine, but because it has a work requirement. But the first thing the Democrats are going to do in negotiations is say, okay, let's loosen this work requirement. So it's setting us on a path to disaster. And it means we're going to have at least two more years of having to defend against this stuff, meaning Mickey can't catch a break. Mickey, it sounds like you're in a dark place. I'm in a dark, dark place. Let's uh, quickly Jonah, explain. Jonah, Jonah only scratched the surface of quick, the darkness. Let's. I want to quickly explain the Jonah Goldberg reference. So I taped a podcast uh, with Jonah that that I haven't aired yet, and you joined us partway through. And and I gather that Jonah then did a podcast where he talked about the conversation we had with him that hasn't been aired yet and i haven't listened to what he said yet i'll listen uh-huh. to it before we tape the parrot room and then we will discuss it in the parrot room uh but I, you you, you uh, i gather he said uh unflattering things about either you or you and me or something yeah yes you gathered right but anyway we'll talk about it in the parrot room that's a, that's that's what the parrot room is for yeah for, for working people airing over of, airing of grievances yeah uh, I mean, but, um, you know, it's funny, Mickey. People think of the parrot room as this nice place. People come, they have pina coladas, wonderful. And by and large, that's true. But when you have a troublemaker, you know, there there's a reason there are bouncers, and there's a reason that sometimes you take somebody in the back room at the parrot room yeah. and work them over. And and I haven't listened to what Jonah said, but I'm just not, not saying that, that that fate will not befall him in the parrot room. It's, it's if you know what I'm saying. Bad. It's not okay. that bad, but anyway, we could the talk about The other thing it. I should say quickly, okay, well, uh, first, uh, that conversation is one in a series I'm having with old-time blogging heads to uh, kind of mark the uh, the rebranding of, uh, of all of this from blogging heads to non-zero, which it is now. Also, we should say, Mickey, that next week, I, I think this is maybe a, a first for years that we're not going to have a podcast. There was once when you were sick, and I did it alone. But since we started doing them in the COVID era, uh, I don't think we've missed one. Well, anyway, there was a time I had food poisoning in Tulsa. That was only a couple of months ago. Yeah, but I did. Uh, I did okay. a podcast solo. Okay. The the this is not that's not going to happen next week. And I take full responsibility. I'm going to be at a family reunion, and as luck would have it, the three siblings who voted for Trump will be there. The one who didn't won't. So like. Doing that instead of this podcast is kind of like, you know, jumping whatever it is out of the pot and into the fire, whatever right. the metaphor is. I just can't catch a break. Uh, but um, so right. I take full responsibility. We'll be back the following week. Uh, there won't be a parrot room next week. So if I were you, I'd sign up and enjoy this week. But it's up to you. So so you're I, I don't know. You, are you just making this shit up? Yeah, that. that, that no, that, I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect. But in fact, the Democrats have gained. Everybody has noticed it. It's not just me. 
and, and it's generally attributable to uh, Roe and mm -hmm. the re reaction of uh, pro-abortion people in defending Roe and mobilizing, and also the uh, reaction of the uh, anti-abortion people in sort of pushing what most voters consider extreme proposals, and thereby making people wonder, uh, you know, what are the Republicans going to do if they're in power? Uh, and you know, it's bad enough that Kevin McCarthy has has a vacuum for a platform, right? So that mm -hmm. he has nothing to say. But it's even worse if they have something to say that voters don't like, which is uh, we're going to pass a, you know. A, 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 there's talk about a national abortion ban that that's really going nowhere, but the talk is out there. And in, at the state level, there are other more extreme proposals in a few states, but the media amplifies them, and people who believe you know believe in abortion rights are rightly worried that you know what happens if we put the Republicans back in power. So that's and that's even before you know Trump throws his hat in the ring and screws up everything. Now. The, the 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 positive side is that there is a bunch of evidence, and Michael Barone goes over it in, in his column this week, that Trump really is fading. I mean, he, he, you know, even uh, you know, even if it's like from forty percent to thirty percent, there are polls in in states that uh, that would still beat the field at the moment, but there are polls in states showing DeSantis tying with him, coming very close. Uh, it's not just New Hampshire. He beats him decisively in Florida, which is where where people really know both of them the best. Uh, well, it's, so also, it's, it's also one of one of them's home state. So it's, you know, it's both of them's home state. But Trump hasn't been. Well, Trump yes and no. I mean, Trump, Trump's thought of as a New Yorker and he's not governor of Florida. But anyway. Uh, yes. But with those caveats still. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, it's. It's possible that Trump will not. This will not boost Trump, but it is definitely going to screw up uh, the Republicans running for the House. And they're they're sort of cruising along, not really worried. And and it's, it seems like a disastrous posture. Uh, the I thought the crazy idea would be DeSantis should declare if Trump declares before the midterms. DeSantis should declare before the midterms. That would at least muddy the field and 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 hold out hope to voters that it's not all about Trump. That if they if they you know vote Republicans into the Congress, it's not just going to be a red carpet for Trump to walk into the White House and do what he wants. Yeah, uh, so, there's a good. Um. Well, is it is is your view that that the problem with Trump announcing is he drives Democratic turnout up? There's that, and also he may you know the election is now about inflation, crime, wokeness, the the uh, chaos at the border, uh, and and then it becomes about Trump. Yeah. The Republicans have four or five winning issues if they just press them. And uh, and why introduce a losing issue, a big losing issue that will gobble up the media space. The whole the whole point of him entering is that he wants attention. You know, he wants to take a chunk of the media space. So uh, he'll get it. The, the press will be happy to give it to him. And the January 6th committee in its infinite political wisdom is suspending operations for August, but is vowing to come back with more in September. So just about at the perfect time to bring more of this stuff out. Did you watch uh, this week's episode? I didn't watch it. I, I, uh, I saw a few of the highlights. I read the six dramatic moments. You know, I, 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 I'm afraid I agree with Jonathan Turley, which is they've discredited him as a president. He should never be president again. He committed an impeachable offense, but they haven't provided the link that shows he sent the violent demonstrators to the Capitol in order to commit violence and obstruct the congressional proceeding. I mean, that's the easiest charge. Well, but it's it. increasingly so they haven't made the criminal case. But it's increasingly clear. Well, a criminal case has an incredibly high bar. But if the question is, right. was he trying to obstruct the con the congressional proceeding, which is no ordinary congressional proceeding, by the way, it's more and more clear that well, the answer we, is yes. He, we, he 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 wanted to go to the Capitol. What did he want to do there? We still don't know. Well, let he, me. He, was he was he going there to obstruct or was he going into the lobby and pressure? Well, let me just uh, uh, let me. I don't think he knows. That. Let me let me. Okay. Uh, you know, we didn't learn that much this week, and maybe maybe not much at all. But but it's it's falling into place more and more for me now. Last week I said that really strangely for the first time it had dawned on me that. What he was doing in the White House while they were rampaging through the Capitol and he was refusing to send out any communication that might 
stop that. Uh, it dawned on me that he actually still at that point was trying to derail the thing in hopes that he could remain president. He had not given up, even though he knew he hadn't sold uh, yeah, Pence on the deal. True. Right. Well, it's but but you you say it's true, but but it's not uh, case closed. True. Well, it's hard but, to establish intent. I'm saying every it seems like every hearing we see a little more that nails that down. And so, but, for example, this week, um, maybe we knew this already, but but so he goes into the White House and he holds himself up in the uh, dining room. So, first of all, we now know. He had been told they breached the, you know, long before he sent the Mike Pence uh, tweet that that uh, that there's now more evidence, by the way, it actually did kind of incite the crowd. They, they now have people, you know, they're more aware of of how individual people associated with that responded to the tweet. But um, before he sent that, we now know for sure, sure, sure. Yes, he was sitting there watching Fox TV. We know what was on Fox TV at that point. Yes, he had been told they breached. Uh, the Capitol. Now, interestingly, uh, what was he doing with his time when, uh, in the dining room? Uh, he wasn't calling any authorities who might help bring it under control. He asked, he got a list of senators that he wanted to call. Right. Now, the I, list I, of senators is not the list of Oath Keepers. The list of senators meant he meant to lobby senators, pursue his crazy plan to, you know, have people object to the electors. That is not calling the Oath Keepers and saying, you rough these people up until they agree. Which I, is, I understand. Would be can the I, smoking gun. Can I finish? I understand. Well, you, we, I'm the, interrupting the, for like a second just, while you're in a tirade. Okay, I, no, ahead. but I haven't gotten to my point. I, I just, I know they do not have a criminal seditious conspiracy case, uh, you know, that, that reaches the criminal, the way you need in criminal court. Now, I increasingly have no doubt at all that if they had all the communications between him and Bannon, him and Rudy, they'd have it. They'd have it, I think, but uh, they don't and they probably won't. But the point I want to make, I mean, we have spent a lot of time talking about his state of mind. What was he thinking when he sent that tweet? OK. And and when you and I talked about it the first time around, like, a, like you know, more than a year ago, um, it was like we were speculating. Did he have the TV on? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we know a lot more. He knew exactly what was going on. How did he choose to spend his time calling senators? Uh, now, we don't have much detail on that because no logs were kept, uh, but apparently uh, we do know that he called uh, Tommy Tuberville, and Tuberville apparently kind of said, look, we're kind of in a bad situation here. Can I, could we talk later? You know, he was sitting there like in fear of his life, basically. Uh, but interestingly, another person he called was Rudy later that evening. Uh, before the certification vote has happened, still hasn't happened, okay? Right. Rudy calls Tuberville, and because Rudy is, you know, such a klutz and probably drunk half the time, he calls the wrong number, leaves a message that we have because he called the wrong number, and the message is, can we slow this process down? So Rudy, who has is, who is talked to Trump during the critical time that we're talking about when, when Trump is is, like, you know, sending tweets out and stuff, calls Tuberville, same guy Trump called and wanted to talk to. And now Rudy says, can we slow this down? All I'm saying is that it is a totally reasonable inference that when Trump was sitting there in the dining room and, and preparing to send out that tweet that basically riled people up against Mike Pence, he was still planning to derail the process, slow it down as much as he could. I think to, sure. deny, to deny that a goal of the tweet was to amp up the intensity uh, of and 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 thereby obstruct things and maybe physically intimidate Pence and so on to deny that that was what he was up to would take a lot of <laughs> denial, right? And there's just there's just more and more pieces making it harder to say that he was not trying to use physical coercion, physical violence to derail the constitutionally ordained uh, process for electing the president. Now, to get a criminal case, you'd have to have those phone calls where he's planning the thing out with Bannon in advance, which I think he did. But but it's just I'm just saying it's it's more and more mind blowing to me that this guy was president. I just can't believe it's, it. It's pretty mind blowing. I, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I just don't. I'm not. I'm 
I'm I'm not completely convinced. I mean, sure, sure, he's Trump. He wants the threat of violence, but uh, you know, was it was he was he smart enough in in in, in coherent enough in that situation where assuming it wasn't planned in advance to think, okay, I'll have my the thugs are in there and they'll physically intimidate. Uh, it's that sort of contradicts what the, the, his strategy of going to the hill was. He was going to they were going to spare him with the violence. He was going to lead well, them on like Joan of Arc or something. Or that had uh, failed. And, and, that had failed. That I'm I'm talking about what he was planning. Given that that hadn't worked, what's right, he just, So he's on the fallback he, plan, but he's right. And the fallback he, plan he's, he's is still calling up. senators. Exactly. Trying to delay. He's he's but working the, along. The key point tracks. is the violence. The key point you have to show is. Is the you know the violence and do we know not that it's not it's certainly implausible do we know that he knew how how much violence there was inside which wasn't a whole lot but did have Pence's security people calling their families to say their final goodbyes so they were rationally scared that and it might have happened if they they broke it in they might have killed people uh, but did did Trump know how far they'd gotten or did he just tweet out a, a tweet that happened to, an incredibly offensive tweet that happened to land at exactly the wrong time. Oh, That's no, what they didn't show. That's there's no show. way. Look, he's watching Fox TV. He knew there was an unruly and in some cases, no doubt, bloodthirsty mob. And there's now more and more. There's We actually had them on tape, you know, uh, to that effect. He knew that. Of course he knew that. And, you know, you you have that. Uh, yeah, well, the Fox. You're right. I forgot about the Fox you have the separate uh, thing from uh, Cassidy Hutchinson reporting that uh, it's a conversation between what's his name? Is it Cipollone? Whatever the Pat, uh, the, the, yeah. And, and the guy and somebody else, uh, they're both lawyers, I think, for the White House. And one of them says, you heard him. He thinks Mike deserves it. And that's in the context of hang Mike Pence. OK. So no, saying, right. You, you heard Trump. You know, I don't know exactly when that happens. It's just, look, it's it's a little piece of evidence kind of every week. But I am just now, this thing that had only dawned on me way later than it should have, which is that he was still, you got a mob rampaging through the Capitol, and he sees it as a feature, not a bug, and he wants to use it to derail this process. I just, you really should reflect on that. That there's is amazing. Not, there's not... There's not a tweet saying directing people or any communication directing people to use the violence. He was just happy to see it happen. We know well, that. Obviously, he can't do that. It's a public communication. He can't publicly exhort them to commit well, the violence. The whole he idea of the commission is that it gets the whole idea of the commission is it will get to public and private. It's an investigative commission. They subpoenaed people. They got all sorts of private stuff, yeah, but, but he, and they haven't come up with that killer bit of evidence now. No, you're right. I think Bannon probably would hold it. And Trump is smart enough not to. By the way, Bannon was convicted. Way. You know, Bannon right, was convicted of contempt for Congress. Yeah, I know that. I know that. that so could he, be that could be uh, in an ideal world. I think that would be two years in prison because it's a max of one for each count. And they could be served uh, consecutively. Huh. I, I see him as sort of the Susan McDougall of this uh, scandal, which is he's the person who goes to jail rather than blow the whistle on the whole thing. Although he may have a whole lot more evidence than Susan McDougall had, but um, I mean, uh, I, he'll just go to prison. I mean, I, I, you know, he'll go to jail. Now, that might not be very pleasant for him. So he probably won't go for long. I doubt they'll sentence him for long. But and, and look, I'm sure he's thinking anything up to a few months is a good thing for me. It turns him into more of an icon. But after a few months, it's right. kind of becomes a high price to pay. Yeah. Uh, but he, yeah. Anyways, I, I think there is a lot of pressure. You say they haven't met the high bar of the criminal case. There's a lot it. of pressure to charge him. There was a, a an op-ed by Richard Benvenisti, who is sort of important in, I've, I've learned, in the formulation of the Democratic uh, talking points. He sort of has a wide network, and people talk to him, and uh, saying, Merrick Garland, you, you only have so much time. Better make up your mind. Uh, and, and that was sort of uh, a goad to him to, uh, you know, do it or don't do it, but obviously to do it. Uh, so, and, and you know, and, and I, I think while Cheney has accomplished a lot in terms of tarring Trump, for the reasons you say, I think she still holds out the hope that he might be charged. I guess on the theory that uh, 
the practical reason would be it would take him out of the presidential race, but it wouldn't. Uh, he could he could run from jail. Uh, so well, he wouldn't be uh, in jail. I mean, I mean, he he he. Uh, you mean he, he he right now? I don't think there's much chance he gets convicted. I just listened to this New York Times podcast with one of the lawyers on the on the Mueller committee, uh, explaining how hard it is to convict. I mean, while it's while listening to that that I thought, well, if they had the communication with Bannon, they could get him on seditious conspiracy. But uh, but they don't. And they won't. I mean, the the record probably doesn't exist. And Bannon's not talking. So um, I still think, by the way, Bannon, <laughs> I've been saying all along, Bannon is the epicenter. I mean, honestly, he's the guy without whom this might not have happened. And, you know, this, this audio thing that uh, came out and they made a big deal of uh, where Bannon says in advance of the election, uh, you know, Look, we're just going to, you know, we're going to focus. We're going to say basically that the mail-in ballots don't count. Trump's going to declare victory. I don't know if this audio came from his podcast, but I remember I heard that on his podcast months before the election. And I and I, and I told you on this podcast, like, that's the plan. They're going to delegitimize the mail-in ballots. Um, and Bannon, I, I honestly think more than anybody else, he thought this whole thing up. And uh, and he's the, and he's also just the key uh, node of synergy and getting various people organized and getting the talking points out to the grassroots, mobilizing them. And, and you know, on that Errol Morris documentary about him, uh, he says there's going to be a revolution. He doesn't seem very unhappy about it. I honestly think he uh, was planning, you know. That, that if necessary, we'll turn this into a revolution. We'll, we'll violently overthrow the government. I mean, he's game. He's, he's been game calling for a revolution for years, and it's never been clear exactly what he means. It's clear now. Been, he's also been flirting with guns for years, and it's never clear to me what he wanted to use them for. What do you mean, uh, flirting flirting with guns? I mean, he, he you know, if, if, you, uh, if you hung around him, you know, he, he knows people who, have, who know who have firearms and, you know, he likes firearms and he's always talking about, it'll be, a, it'll be good to get my hands back on my weapons. He's constantly making, you know, firearms references. Well, uh, he uses it metaphorically he's, sometimes. He's gun adjacent. He's gun adjacent. But it takes a lot more than a few guns to overthrow the United States government. And I just want to conceding everything you say, yeah. including the part about it being hard to make a criminal case without, without the smoking gun tweet or Bannon. Uh, imagine what it would be like if the shoe was on the other foot. In other words, if Trump had eked out a victory that the Biden people considered questionable, uh, they wouldn't have stormed the Capitol that day, I don't think, because I, I don't think they had a Steve Bannon urging them, but there would have been more violence over the long-term, prolonged violence, a little bit here, a little bit there, building, never going away, uh, until the next election, uh, they, the left would have gone berserk, uh, and the right—you know—it's the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. The Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. The Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Those are two discrete groups of with a discrete following. They're they they may well be plotting a comeback and plotting more violence, but with the left, it's it's I think many many more people. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, one one interesting question is. Would the left have gotten as riled up in a comparable situation? I mean, they would have thought where, where, they would have, uh, thought, they would have but, thought the system is stacked against them. They have no recourse but to violence. Okay, Go ahead, but, but my question is, if this if the situation were comparable in the sense that there was a total lack of evidence to support them, right? I mean, if you if you if you were interested in getting to the truth uh, of the of the Trump thing, it becomes clear as any number of people, including Bill Barb said, is, is he doesn't have a leg to stand on. The lawyers uh, rarely in court even claimed any fraud and, and they got shot down if they did. And, uh, and you know, well, they, if you actually looked into things like at the State Farm Arena, it became clear that, that it's all you, bullshit. Do you think the you, left is as manipulable? I, yeah, and I'm not well, sure. As well, the right well there's, there's, there, there's the Ohio precedent, what happened in Ohio in, in, with the Kerry election, where I believe there were people who said oh, Ohio was stolen on the basis of exit polls that showed Kerry ahead, and they persisted. I think some people even voted to deny the electors in the Kerry race. 
uh, and there, uh, you know, and then the, the claims about the election polls were disproved by a genius left-wing blogger named Febble, who wrote a long post sort of saying why the exit polls were were biased. And basically, you know, old, old, old Republican voters, they see a guy with a floppy hat and an orange vest taking taking questions at the polls. They don't want to talk to him. So there's selection bias in terms of who answers the exit poll. Uh, okay, but, but the Democrats were capable of spinning a whole lot out of this, uh, out of these exit polls. Okay, so, but yeah, I would say there would be things. That was a case where one state would have made the difference, right? Ohio would have made the difference, as I recall. Ohio alone. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So in that sense, it was a much easier moment to seize in principle because you just got to argue that in this one case there's fraud. In this case, you had to hit the trifecta. You got to get three states. There's no good evidence in any of them, and yet we no, almost had a revolution. This is a whereas, hypothetical. Case I'm making, I can stack the hypothetical everyone. Suppose, suppose it did come down to one state that Trump won by one state. Okay, I mean, but you know. but Mickey, Ohio's not hypothetical. That actually happened. Remind right. me of when they stormed the Capitol that year. They didn't. They didn't. No, because they hadn't been exercised. You said you said they had no evidence, and I'm saying they can make a lot with a little evidence. They're much much madder now because Trump is more evil in their sights. And they have a much better case that the system is stacked against them with the the unrepresentative electoral counts for less populated rural states, uh, the Senate. They, there's mm. a whole paranoid theory that they're never going to get back into power because of gerrymandering, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's not insane. So well, no. that just I mean, drives I'm people not, berserk. I'm not saying the Democrats would be less manipulable. It's it's an, it's an open question. And I have to say that given some of the uh what seems to me like overreaction to little bits of evidence in russia gate and the endurance of the conviction that uh you know even in the absence of anything approaching a smoking gun there the endurance of the conviction that definitely you know that was uh, the russians turned the election and so on um i i i have to concede i i mean i gotta say the whole the whole <laughs> I mean, Russiagate, the whole the whole resistance reaction to Trump uh, and and to Russiagate and the way that has played out up up until now in the context of international relations. Right. Uh, with uh, the you know, the way I think that intensified uh, left of center reaction to the Ukraine invasion, which, again, was something to get worth getting riled up about. It's an invasion. But um the, and the way the news about that is being processed, I mean, in general, my my faith in the objectivity of people's such as it ever was, I guess, has been shaken. So I don't know that. Uh, I, it's an interesting question. The weirdest thing, the weirdest thing I thought that I learned is when Trump, they ask him about the riders and he says, those are Antifa or Antifa. How do you yeah, it? he was saying that, that that afternoon. That's very bizarre that that early along he was producing this uh, this this weird Talk. excuse making talking right. point. He, he couldn't have he may it. just have been he may just have been like like, you know, making a sarcastic reference. You know, oh, I don't know who those are. Those are Antifa. But as opposed to actually saying it was a false flag operation. But it was just it's just weird. No, that was early. That was early uh, in the talking oh. points. That was, that was the first trotting out of that talking point by anybody on that side. Um, so anyway, anyway. It, it is damaging him much more than I expected. And I guess that's a good thing. Uh, since I don't. Well, want it, except it's prompting him to jump in early and destroy the. Hopes but you think it makes it less likely, not just that he could win the general, but that he will win the nomination, right? Yes, correct. Well, then it is a um, good thing from your point of view, because it makes it more likely that the Republicans will win uh, the right. presidential election, right? Uh -huh. So why aren't you happy? Cheer up. I, I, All I care about is stopping these two bills. I don't really care if a Republican is in the Oval Office or not. Uh, if the Republicans solidly control Congress, the two bills are probably not going anywhere. But uh, so anyway, that I might vote for who knows. I might I might vote for a Democrat in twenty twenty four. I'm sure you're on on tether hooks. On tether hooks. Um, the uh, 
Biden has COVID, and I think America is going to think, if that guy can survive COVID, I have nothing to worry about. And it's going to re result in a, a huge relaxation of uh, hmm. care in terms of do we avoid this disease or not? I don't know. He's pretty fit, right? He, go, right? he gets on a bike. He falls off the bike. He's pretty fit. He gets exercise. And, you know, I was, trim. I was, I, I would have given him points for the bike fall. I mean, he was on the bike. That's more than I've gotten. Plus, if he didn't break <laughs> a hip after falling, give that man a medal. Um, yeah, the COVID thing is funny. I mean, I'm about to travel to my family reunion. And, uh, you know, I got a booster that was timed for this purpose so that it'll peak. You know, it's like been, been three weeks and I leave tomorrow. But um, I'm wondering if a booster does any good because, okay, so it is clear that that vaccinations uh, based on the original uh, variant uh, do protect you against the newest variants in terms of severity of illness, death, but don't do much for uh, to prevent transmission, to insulate you from transmission. And I wonder if that means that what's working is is not the antibodies but the T memory cells. And I think it's mainly the antibodies that get boosted by your, um, by your booster. And I, I assume that the T memory cells are kind of there in the long run in any event. I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, do you have, do you, do you, do you is, your, is your knowledge of this so deep that you can answer my question? No, my knowledge is totally shallow and I can't answer your question. But you recognize I, it as a good question, yes. right? You, yeah. commend, you commend me for the question. I commend you for it. Um, we're waiting for better vaccines. Which well, they the say, well, well, two things. I mean, they say that even the vaccines that are based on Omicron, the first Omicron, which I think is the next new vaccine to show up, right, in the fall? I don't know. That they give you more protection against the newest variant than the existing vaccines do. Um but isn't there an all variant vaccine on the way? And all there is that third, yeah, there is the yeah. third round on the way, but I think it's not going to show up until after the Omicron vaccine um, shows this up. I had this very weird thing, which is I went to get my tire repaired mm -hmm. to the tire shop, and the guy said, I can't fix it. All of my workers are out sick with the flu, not with COVID, but with the flu, which is completely bizarre because it's the summer. Is summer flu season? I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, anyway, that's a little discordant data point. That everybody else, everybody else is losing their workers to COVID. But um, I mean, not losing them permanently, but they're out. Um, the Saudi trip, yeah. everybody's saying it was a failure. I didn't quite understand why it was a failure, since if the Saudis are going to send us more gas, which oil, which I think would be the main uh, goal of Biden in the trip, they're not going to announce it right then. I mean, that looks crude. <laughs> I'm just going to relax it like later on, right? So it might be a delayed concession. So we don't really know what Biden got out of the trip oil-wise. That remains to be seen. The other things are like, you know, we failed to show, we showed that the Arab world wasn't scared of us. This is all from a Karen Elliott House uh, op-ed. Waiting for you to cringe at the mention of the words Karen Elliott House. No. No. You know, uh, I, I, uh, and that's, she, it's almost a blast from the past. Is she still writing for their opinion? Apparently, page? for the Wall Street Journal, not a, not regularly, is she? I don't think regularly. Mm -hmm. And and that, uh, you know, she um, she says, well, the the UAE was so unimpressed that you know, after Biden left, they immediately restarted talks with Iran and to send back their ambassador. So the the idea is that you know, he he showed he wasn't the man to stand up against Iran. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite see that, you know, but uh, what do I well, know? I, I, I just kind of wonder like how much oil, you know, can they, can they get? And if they're that desperate, why don't they just make nice with Venezuela and get, get some more there, make it easier for their oil to hit the market. They were making some kind of noises about that, but I don't think they ever did it. I mean, if this is just an all out, you know, Venezuela, they don't chop up journalists. Like, well, there's there's simpler things to do at home. You could, you know, restart the shale industry, uh, the, uh, you know, restart fracking, uh, chop up the earth, chop up the <laughs> earth. I mean, I 
you know, they, the, you know, the, during my sojourn in the fracking fracking country, they were completely honest about them causing earthquakes. They didn't deny it at all. They said, "You know that earthquake in Texas? We did that. That was us." <laughs> you know the the Saudi thing reminds me again that I just really think this foreign policy team it's just the amateur hour because this may seem like a little thing, but like apparently they went to all this trouble to make it a fist bump instead of a handshake. And as people have pointed out, that looks worse. It looks like they're bros. They're the bone saw bros. It, 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 it's, it's, I mean, seriously, who is running the show that thinks that you look less chummy fist bumping a guy? So, than somebody made a big hand? deal of that. Somebody made a big deal of that. Um, it's obvious. And then they put out a lie that it was for, because of COVID because, but ignored well, yeah, that that he, was, shook they, hands, they, he shook hands with everybody else. And, uh, no, no, and then no, he, he got COVID. No, he had done, <laughs> no, no, he had done fist bumps in Israel. And at that point, the insiders were reporting, well, they're setting this up so he doesn't have to. Oh, see, see, initially the line was, he's going to say he's not shaking hands with people because of COVID. Then he gets to Israel and he fist bumps them, doesn't shake their hand. Then he does the same thing in Saudi Arabia. It's worse than a handshake. Handshakes can look stiff and formal. Fist well, maybe bumping it was, can't. Maybe it was Maybe it was worth a shot. I guess maybe not. No, these people are <laughs> these people are complete amateurs. From Tony um, Blinken on down, they are not worthy of the job. Uh, and I rest my case on I, a fist I, bump. It, it it seems to me um, one other big topic is uh, obviously uh, inflation and will there be a recession? It's Today was looking very recessive. Uh, Larry Summers says it'll only be a little recession, nothing like the 2008 recession. It'll be like the 19, like the uh, two, not the 2000, the the, the George H. W. Bush recession, uh, which I don't even remember at all. There was a little one that helped elect Clinton, but it wasn't very big at all. So um, I'm hoping for that. And my question, my it seems to me the key issue is, you know, the the the, the Wages at the bottom of the scale have been rising, which seems to be the most important thing, at least mm -hmm. the most important thing to me. Uh, and we can argue about why that is, but it's, you know, it's definitely happening. Even after inflation, I think, uh, when all the average wages go down and overall wages go down, at the very bottom, things are better. And the question is, after the recession, will things still be better? Will there be a permanent repositioning of the value of unskilled labor versus skilled labor, which is something devoutly to be wished. Uh, I don't know, but it seems to me that's the key question is uh, when when the economy comes back, do wages revert back to their old uh, pre-COVID doldrums at the bottom? Or, so, or so you want unskilled wages to rise piece? relative to skilled? That's the yeah. point, yeah. Relative to everybody nice. else, you want to raise the floor. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, I don't know. It's easy. And Summers sort of never addresses that, really. He, uh, they always talk about average wages, I think. I don't think he ever addresses the very bottom, at least in the things that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, so, and um, there was this bizarre thing yesterday in the New York Times, the I was wrong day. Everybody had to write a column saying. Uh, oh, I missed it. Uh I was just thinking about something I was wrong about, but I've conveniently forgotten. So what was it? What happened? Did, were people? I don't know. Krugman wrote a column I was wrong about inflation. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, which I haven't read, but I did reread Mike Kinsley's column predicting uh, ten years ago, predicting that there was going to be an inflationary price to pay. And Krugman and it reads, didn't Krugman, Krugman dismiss him with the back of his hand? Kind of. It wasn't quite that bad, Krugman. Krugman wrote an, an actual argument against him. Then Kinsley wrote an argument back. Then Krugman dismissed him with the back of his hand saying, well, I was thinking of saying that people shouldn't write about economics unless they know something about it or something. Uh, but it wasn't quite as bad as I had remembered it. Uh, hmm. But, um, and Kinsley was sort of right too soon. He was 10 years as opposed to two years. And did, but, Brett, uh, did Brett Stevens say I was wrong about the Iraq war? 
No, he didn't. He didn't say I was wrong about immigration, which is what I wanted him to say. He said I was wrong to sneer at Trump voters. But that's a start. He said I was wrong to be a sneering what, elitist asshole. So what should, what, what should his attitude toward them have been? Nailed it. A polite dismissal? understanding, but disagreeing. Mm. I guess from his point of view, mm -hmm. instead of dismissing them as yahoos and saying we want immigrants because they're better than these yahoos, which is well, what funny he said. because. He was brought into the Times op-ed page at a time when, arguably, the kind of conservative they should have brought in, they should have brought in was a Trumpist. Uh, yeah. Be because that was the moment when suddenly there's this new force. Is there an articulate version of it? Uh, and uh, you know, were, you, you didn't, you weren't getting much of that on the Times page. You know, rust out that has an understanding of it. Right. Uh, but doesn't he's resolutely anti-Trump? Trump. He's so resolutely right. anti-Trumpist that he can't. Right. Uh, there, you know, I wrote a letter to James Bennett offering my services. Bob, did I get a response? No. We An talked email, about that in the parrot room. Yeah. I, but, um, I think uh, part of our business model is we unveil our grievances a week early in the parrot room. <laughs> if you want to hear them when they're fresh, you you, you got to go to Patreon.com/slash/parrotroom. If you want to wait until they're stale, fine. But I'm telling you, that one was a hell of a lot more entertaining last week. But there, there were two obvious candidates, Byron York and Chris Caldwell, who would have been really good on the New York Times op-ed page, who they didn't well, go has, to. Has York uh, they, almost they obviously, they obviously didn't want an articulate Trump defender. That's the... Was, did York kind of convert to Trumpism, or could you have seen that coming, uh, his, his sympathy for Trump? He... He's he's I think less sympathetic to Caldwell. He just sort of defends Trump against against anti-Trump bullshit. Mm -hmm. He's pretty clear-eyed about Trump. I think he's he too is happy that Trump is fading. He predicted Trump would fade. Uh, Caldwell I think is sort of somehow the things I've read is seems a little more actually sympathetic. Uh, uh, I, I think they both come about it honestly. I mean I mean York York is in a job as Fox commentator. Where you don't have a whole lot of freedom of movement, mm -hmm. but but the the answer is that if you if you had anti-Trump thoughts, you would sort of not state them. We could uh, always do what Jonah Goldberg did, which is uh, quit Fox in protest, which he seemed proud of when we talked to him last week. But we can talk about of. that more in the parish. But the other the other thing is um uh anyway um. So, so any other admissions of wrongness that uh, are worth noting? I should check that out. What happened? I, yesterday was a hellacious day for me. Um, the, I was up until 10.30 p.m. podcasting on somebody else's podcast. I don't understand trouble. the people who, who, like Jonah Goldberg does like 10 podcasts a week. It's very bizarre. Um, they're, just, they're, they're just casual about them. It, it, it's an attitudinal thing. It's like, I'm going to show up. I'll do the best I can. I don't have to be on top of my game. But, and but that's the way you should it go. It requires a level of articulateness that I am only able to muster at best once a week. Well, he's younger uh, than us, too. but uh, He's very, very smart. But um, and it, uh, are you um, – one quick thing maybe is, is this uh, – the S Southern Poverty Law Center's attack on Andrew Yang was basically – I didn't. You I, I wasn't aware of it. What they say? They, uh, they they had some attack on Andrew Yang. It amounted to you were at a conference uh, with somebody who was at a conference with yeah. a bad person. Yeah. Okay, so it's like we almost reached the two degrees of separation. Pure argument. I mean, it, it was a little better than that because it was you were at a conference, but it was a huge conference, and he wasn't even on the same panel with the person. The Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. Um, at a, and and this other person was uh, speaking on a pa same platform with a bad person. Okay, didn't necessarily say bad things, but it was the same platform with a bad person. Uh, but once they reach three degrees of separation, they'll encompass like half of humanity, right? Yeah. Now it's crazy. This whole uh, you were at a conference with. I mean, I've been at big conferences. Uh, I mean, one time this guy, this notorious guy walked up and shook my hand. I didn't know who he was. I'm just glad that this was before the age of smartphones when everybody had a camera. But I was at the same um, conference with him. Famous I racist. Was a, I was, if you, if I was at a big conference with, and uh, somebody who was, has a canceling, cancellation power, uh, 
came up and said hi to me. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, if you go to a VDARE conference, you will be canceled. Well, that's, and, you know, and, you and know, I think you're on more notice there. You're on more notice there that so many people have been canceled for going to VDARE conferences that, uh, right. you sort of know that that's going to happen. Even I if did. you, even if you say nothing offensive at all, as Darren Beattie did. Yeah. Now it reminds me of, do you remember, uh, I mean, far be it for me to defend Charles Murray, but I did, I did believe this point of attack was unfair when we were at the new Republic. And I think it was Chuck Lane who did this piece looking up everyone in his bibliography, uh, in Murray's bibliography and like what conferences they had been like, it's like, when you, when you, (laughs) when you cite a paper, you may know nothing about, you you know, who knows? It depends. You may have found it at the last minute seems to support your argument. It's just, uh, I don't know. I got into trouble once because there was I was I was doing exactly that quickly looking in research for things that supported my argument. Mm-hmm. And I found one study that showed that welfare in fact did encourage people to move to states with high welfare benefits, which had never been oh it was always a liberal dogma that this didn't happen, even though reporters on the ground like Jason DeBall could document the cars flying by from Illinois to Wisconsin for the benefits. Um, and, and I said, uh, you know, I said, Oh, I don't know what his name was, but I, I said, Oh yeah. And there's some guy named McCormick or something. Some guy named study. And mm-hmm. I was at an academic study and it turned out this guy was the leading sociologist in America who was revered. Oh, well, and that's every, the opposite problem. And, and everybody thought I was a total asshole, which I was. You mean for, for calling him some guy? Yeah. Oh, well. It's like saying, uh, some guy I named Albert wondering. Einstein had this study that showed, you know, mass and energy. Yeah, they can be. I was. Into we're one we're getting. We're starting to sound like old guys reminiscing. But just quickly, I was. That's part of our I, our unique was, selling proposition. But I, I was, was talking to some people either at the World Bank or the IMF, and I said it was a small group. It was like thirty people, and uh, I said, "Yeah, there's an economist named Michael Creamer," and it turned out everybody looks at this guy and it's like, "Oh." You must be Michael Kramer. I was like, <laughs> I became, I was wishing I was <clears throat> conversant enough in his work to be sure I had characterized it accurately. But. Um, there, there's a paper out that says serotonin has nothing to do with depression, which I can't quite believe. Uh, they mean causally or not even correlationally? I think cause. I think either. I think, but well, I'd be, uh, I'd have a much easier time believing that it's not causal than that it's not correlation why is everybody on these serotonin reuptake inhibitors and they are happier that's my point it can't just there, be there the placebo seem, effect there does now it could be that you know it could be that this drug hits the real you know the the ssris hit the real mechanism that makes you less depressed and it so happens that this category of drugs also has this totally unrelated side effect uh of raising serotonin but that uh but i thought they had studies also showing that you know people who undergo big elevation of status see their serotonin yeah. rise and stuff like that but that'd be different yeah but it but it's curing depression the- well it's not no but the idea is that you get elected fraternity president and in fact uh, this was a study at ucla like getting elected fraternity president is like in the aftermath of that, supposedly you had a higher serotonin level than before, but th- this was a long time ago. I don't know. About That's the at the level. upper end. That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean there's symmetry in it. That lack of serotonin causes uh, low self-esteem. But anyway, um, uh, the placebo effect is great. I want to get me some of that. The pl- You want to get placebo effect? Yeah. Can I, if I just become a religious person, does that give me a placebo effect? Uh, that's not a if bad I believe metaphor. it's helping me i mean uh yeah. that's not a bad metaphor i mean uh, i think i think all of life is a search for the placebo effect as you know that, that's an ultimately dark perspective but then <laughs> well, again you're in, a, you're in a dark place we're dark so I, i'm not i'm not surprised and it's, I'm, not a, it's, I'm on message uh the i had one question about the monkeypox outbreak uh, I'm, uh, I'm your man. No, it's actually, not whether know. it's not whether it's endemic or not. I mean, that's just a question of do we get it together or not. Uh-huh. But why is why is it taken until now to break out of Africa? People have been people have been been going in and out of Africa for centuries. Presumably, some of them had homosexual sex with each other. 
which seems to be the, by far the main mechanism of transmission. And, and, and yet uh, it's new to the West. We didn't see people walking around with monkeypox. Uh, I think changed? we call this the role of contingency in history. I mean, it could have in principle broken out 20 years ago. It could, you know, it's just at some point it happens that a, an individual is infected and then they have a kind of contact and the person they have contact with has contact with somebody and then you reach critical mass. There, there's a tipping point with these things and sometimes it reaches it and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. I'm not yeah. shocked. That's life. Not but, dark enough, Bob. But speaking of monkeypox, uh, look, can I complain about Joe Manchin? <laughs> There's actually no segue there, folks. The, um, you know, last week I complained, you had assured me that he'd be fine with taxing the rich. Wrong. Now, this week, we find out that there's another sense in which he's he's uh, getting in the way of sensible tax legislation. The Biden administration had engineered this global minimum corporate tax, which I'm a big fan of, because it addresses the race to the bottom problem where countries competitively lower their corporate income tax in, in hopes of luring corporations and corporations right. can right. always find their way around your tax by Blah, blah, blah. And amazingly, so, Janet Yellen negotiated it. She deal. did. 130 countries agreed to a 15% minimum corporate tax. That's amazing. And Manchin had apparently signaled that he's on board. And now he's changed his mind. Because I well, guess. The general, yeah. My general pitch is the night is young, a lot younger than you think and that the press thinks. Uh, people looked at Manchin's statement on the reconciliation bill and noticed smart Democratic people noticed it on their on their, his radio show in West Virginia. He did not say he would oppose all those elements of a reconciliation bill. He said he wouldn't vote for them now. So now they're going to pass this bill with the Obamacare fix and the drug negotiation. Uh, Medicare can negotiate drug prices. They'll pass that. But he hasn't ruled out voting for another reconciliation bill this year. So if they have enough time, you know, and inflation doesn't give him an excuse to to say no, uh, he could go for that. It's not dead. Does this mean that that's part the, of the nightmare of Mickey? They could also bring back amnesty and the child tax credit. You're in a dark place. Is this does this mean that the uh, climate change stuff that he also supposedly sabotaged could make it could have a comeback? That seems. Less likely. That's a separate yes, matter. But, that is that that is the specific argument of these people who parse his statements in West Virginia, which is that that could come back too. Well, but that seems like the least likely of them because he's from West Virginia, right? Uh, you know, I uh, predict that the global minimum tax will not come back just because you know seize the moment, no time like the present, and you don't, and just shit happens, even if you don't mean for it to happen. Now, I don't understand why they don't stick it in the current reconciliation bill. They're, they stuck up a, a bunch of stuff in there, you know, the, the, in addition to the Medicare and the Obamacare fix. Why can't they just stick that one? I guess yeah. it's a corporate tax hike and Kristen Cinema doesn't like it, maybe. Could be. Uh, uh, but it's know. such, it's such, you know, as you know, I'm a fan of global governance, and people think when you when you say global governments, they think, oh, you want to address climate change and have peace in our time. No, there's there's all of the there's a whole bunch of things that a whole bunch of problems that can only be solved through international coordination. And and this is a good example of if you want to tax corporations, you you know, uh, if you don't want to, them to ultimately elude everyone's grasp, countries have to get together, and it's hard. It and Janet Yellen did it. It's one of those things that you think will never happen, and the fact that it happened means it should be rewarded. Yes, I agree. Mm. Uh, I'm pissed. So, so what else? I, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling paradigm time now. Yeah, just about. I mean, we haven't said anything about Ukraine. Should I? Uh, the British say the Russians are about to be exhausted, giving the Ukrainians an opportunity for a counterattack. I have the quote. In fact, the head of M, 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 is it MI6, the name of their intelligence agency? I don't know. Uh, uh, Richard Moore says he believes Russia is, quote, about to run out of steam, end quote, in Ukraine. Uh, and it's certainly true that there has been a lessening of momentum since they took pretty much all of Luhansk, you know, one one province down, two to go in terms of uh, Putin's minimal war aims uh, of, of those two provinces in the Donbass. And um, 
you know, it's it's not entirely clear why. I think I think most people think it does have at least something to do with these HIMAR missiles we sent in. They've been disruptive, blowing up ammo depots, some command and control centers, even some uh, air defense installations. Most of this the Russians can adapt to. Uh, they can move their ammo depots further from the battle lines, but A, it'll take a little time, and B, there will be some enduring costs in terms of the efficiency of the logistics system because more stuff will have to farther, travel farther on trucks and less far on trains, basically. Um, they'll need you know more trucks, more truck time, and, and it's just sloppier. So the question is, to what extent is it just this you know, short-time adaptation and to what extent is it other things? I mean, I think the bad news for the Ukrainians is, again, the uh, the ultimate pool of manpower, sold, you know, sold people you can get in uniform. It's a much bigger pool for Russia. Now, both of them are, are, are at a stage where they've lost a lot of the good fighters. They have a lot of inexperienced fighters. And it's, it's it, it, I guess the good news for Ukraine is it's harder to play offense that way than defense. And Ukraine is in the Donbass basically playing defense. But still, Russia is doing these various things to beef up their troop level without resorting to general mobilization. And they seem to be succeeding in getting more and more people in uniform and, and even settling for minimal training. Take It takes a little while to get these guys up to the front. but. This is still a long-run problem for Ukraine, it seems to me. It's, it's just sheer potential manpower. People, 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 some commenters, probably pe these obscure commenters I read on John Ellis's uh, substack, uh, said that it was considered bad for Russia that they had to go to Iran to ask for Iran's drones. They're Russia. They're supposed to have the drones of their own. They're supposed to be, people are supposed to be asking them for their drones instead yeah. they're begging for Iranian drones, that that was a sign of weakness. Well, I think Putin also wanted to just uh, appear in public with some leader who would have him, you know? And so well, you, you find some other leader that the U.S. has ostracized. And, well, and well, he could have met He could have met with them when not asked for drones. You think the drones, I don't think the drones was the excuse for the meeting, was it? Uh, no, no, you're right. I mean, uh, I think it was, it, was a dual, a it was a dual purpose thing. meeting, um, but, but sure. Uh, I, I think, I, look, good good drones that fire weapons are hard to come by. I mean, reconnaissance drones are easier to to kind of just, you know, jerry-rig. But, um, and, 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 and kind of the same with certain kinds of, of, of suicide drones, maybe. But, you know, good missile-firing drones, there's a limited number. They get shot down. That's why, that's why I was, um, I, I was, I, I, I thought it was ridiculous. Did you see that video of the robot dog with the machine gun? <laughs> There's a video of a robot dog with a machine gun, and it's supposed to be scary because there's robot dogs running around shooting things. And there was a very influential tweet saying, oh, don't worry. It can only go for seven minutes without running out of battery. And it has terrible aim. Look, it only hit the target one of every 20 times. Well, yeah, but the aim is going to get better and the batteries are going to get better. And then mm -hmm. it'll be time to be scared. I mean, how idiotic can a comment be? Uh so yeah. eventually, eventually the drones will learn how to shoot. I mean, yeah, you know, it's going to be all robot dogs in the battlefield. Uh, and why do they have to be dogs? I mean, is, is dogs like the most efficient way to run around? Couldn't you design something with three legs that would be faster or six legs that would be more adaptable to terrain? I think natural selection, I mean, contingency plays a role in natural selection, but That's I think it's point. pretty good at, at settling on fairly good solutions to problems. So if it has shown almost no preference for three-legged <laughs> runners, <laughs> I think that means four legs is, is probably better in terms of sheer mechanics. But who knows? Good point. Um, um, so, yeah, you're right. It's parrot room time, I think. What are we going to... Uh, talk about first of all i'm going to listen to this jonah thing uh, okay. uh it, it, and give yourself 10 minutes to calm down you think does he say does he talk shit about me i mean that'll piss he me talks off. shit about you but it's not that bad what can it's i not, just say in not, advance, <laughs> not having heard this at all the fucking dick and no I, because he didn't I, do anything I, I as bad as calling you a fucking dick I he says i love that. bob 
He says, but, I love Bob, and then he gives a critique. Okay, well, I love Jonah, but he's a fucking dick. <laughs> okay. no, I, important, have, I think you are you like me are easily annoyed, and this will annoy you. I'm already getting there, you man. I haven't even down. heard it. Well, then I've raised expectations, so it's not going to meet your expectations. I may retract what I said about him, but I'm certainly not guaranteeing okay. it. Okay, there's there there's that. There's um uh, uh, there's uh what a dick. Go ahead. <laughs> uh there's uh let's see. Um I have Bill Gates uh throwing his money around. I have some ominous indications of the revival of the corrupt Washington of our youth. Uh the um, uh, Dr. Oz versus Fetterman is interesting again. Oh, yeah. Can, uh, I mean, Fetterman wins an award for that. Uh, the award, <laughs> the, the, the trolling of Oz. What, the, the, about how he lives in Pennsylvania? He, Fetterman is launching a, in New Jersey. Fetterman is launching a petition to have Oz inducted into the New Jersey Hall of yeah, Fame. Yeah, well, okay, that's an obvious that's, one. That's, no, it's not. It's genius level. Uh, okay, if you uh, if you say so, um, there's uh, Jonathan Swan has a long, long, long Axios post on Trump's plans if he becomes president. They're both alarming and uh, unexpectedly savvy. Uh, we can go into that. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, we have um, the WeWork where I have has a holographic. Is it like a box in the corner and it's a holographic presence? So uh, we can talk about the implications of that. Uh, you could be replaced by a holographic presence at any moment. I'm game. Uh, I, I I have some comments of the general. I I have some some completely inchoate sort of like you know uh, have a child watch TV and see how he reacts comments on Joe Biden. Uh, That'll take some unpacking. And on makes, and Fetterman, makes and no sense whatsoever. And Fetterman. And Fetterman. Well, like Mike Kinsley used to, like you know, uh, have the, a friend of his would have like a five year old kid watch uh, uh, Crossfire, uh, uh. and 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 he go, "Why is that man so mean to you?" Okay, that's uh -huh. like, okay, that's like the basic yeah. uh, or emotional reaction if you ignore all the substance to what was going on in Crossfire. Okay. Uh, so, so you're going to do your imitation of a five-year-old watching Biden. Correct. Okay, good. Mickey imitates um, and um, watching. There's some other things that I can't understand. I can't read my own handwriting, but I'll figure it out. Oh. Okay. That's, uh, that's a lot. There's an interesting Supreme Court case. Well, that's just for me, Bob. I'm sure you have. Uh, not that much. Uh, I, I, want to, um, I want to discuss Ethan Hawke's plan for bringing peace to Ukraine. I know, sounds crazy, but also uh, Lex Friedman's got a plan. He's there now. He's going to love bomb him. Um, the uh, who is Lex Friedman again? Oh, he's one of the one of the big podcasters. He was anointed by Joe Rogan, who ceremoniously gave Lex Friedman his wristwatch, which is fraught with symbolism, on his, on the Joe Rogan podcast, and that. You know, it was like it was like John the Baptist and Jesus, except kind of in reverse, because Joe Rogan is still the the, the head honcho. But anyway, um, the uh, what else? Oh, I want to talk about you know the live the bone saw golf circuit, the live tour, All right. um, and how talk about the role of contingency. Explain how the British Open may have flukily helped live reach critical mass. And could be the death of the PGA. Uh, and Liv is going to have Charles Barkley, too. Well, they also picked up another good commentator. Uh, is Barkley's going to be a commentator? Oh, I thought he, I thought he was going to be a contestant. <laughs> I thought the idea is, uh, not a serious contestant. No, uh, but they'll, they'll but, pay but to the see. Guy who People will pay to last, see Charles Barkley golf. The guy, the guy who finishes last in their tournaments gets $120,000. So, like, I could become rich on that tour if they would just recognize that I'm an asset in a, in an unconventional sense, but they've not it recognized mean, it. It means giving up the paradigm money. So. Yeah, because that, I guess. Um, let's see. I don't, you know, I don't have that. 
more stuff will come up, maybe some commenter stuff, but uh, uh, this is enough. I mean, the Jonah Goldberg segment alone is worth paying for. So people should go to patreon.com slash parrot room. Well, the Jonah Goldberg segment actually raises issues. Uh, maybe not important issues, but sort of meaty issues. Good. Uh, which uh, yeah, no, I I'm mean, prepared to discuss semi-coherently. Okay. This is going to be big. Patreon.com slash parrot room. I can also mention the, my epic taping of an episode uh, of Decoding the Gurus last night. That's the reason I'm low energy, except when I'm talking about January 6th. It's uh, because that kept me up. Um, but, uh, so I'll write that down. Uh, and, uh, oh, the parrot is in a dark place, it looks like, Mickey. Not dark enough. Not dark enough. And make it darker. We'll see, folks. There, and again, next week, we're taking a very rare, the, the two hardest working men in show business are taking a very rare vacation next week. All right. We'll see you in the parrot room.